What if you could become a better person, not by working harder, but by allowing your inherent goodness to take the lead? And not because you're a bad person, but because there's something inside you that's ready for more. How to be a better person gives you one tiny step a day you can take to be the person you want to be. My mission? To help you keep growing. Hey, and welcome to How to Be a Better Person. I'm Kate, your host and the author of the book, How to Be a Better Person. Do you regularly feel like there just aren't enough hours in the day? That feeling has a technical term. It's called time poverty, and it's something we're going to learn how to reduce in today's episode. It's part of a week of episodes on our relationship to time, something that extends into so many different parts of our lives, from productivity and scheduling, to mindfulness and awareness, to planning vacations and setting goals. It's an octopus of a topic, and I'm excited to learn more about it today when I'm talking with Ashley Willens, assistant professor at Harvard Business School, a leading voice in time and happiness research, and the author of the excellent book, Time Smart. I enjoyed this book so much. It's succinct, it's practical, it's educational. I turned down multiple corners of multiple pages and got out my special notebook so I could do the exercises that Ashley outlines. I really recommend it. And I am so excited to have Ashley here today to help us all feel more time affluent. Ashley, welcome to How to Be a Better Person. Thanks so much for having me, Kate. When I first encountered the phrase time poverty in some article or another that I was reading, it was like someone plucked a guitar string in my psyche. (laughs) It really resonated. So I Googled it, which led me to your book. So for those who don't know, what is time poverty? Time poverty is the psychological feeling of having too many things to do in a day and not enough time to do them. (laughs) And as a social psychologist, my research really tries to shed light on where these feelings of time poverty come from and what we can do to overcome them. Oh my gosh. Thank you for thinking about this because there's always a little bit of um, relief and a little bit of grief in like hearing a diagnosis like, oh, you have such and such. And it's like, oh, what a bummer. I have that thing. But oh, how good it feels to know that it's a thing. (laughs) And it's not just my personal experience. I love knowing that time poverty has that kind of definition. And it's really pervasive. So picking up on something that you're saying, you are not alone. I'm not alone when feeling time poor, 80% of working adults report feeling overwhelmed by the demands of work and life. It doesn't matter how much money you make, what gender you identify with, your personality characteristics. Most of us feel somewhat overwhelmed by the demands of our daily lives. (laughs) But these feelings are not something that we can't overcome. So I think social psychology and the research I do is optimistic in so far as it shows that there are small, simple things we can do on an everyday basis to reclaim time and live a happier life. Amen. I'm all about the the simple things we can do on a daily basis. So tell me, one of the first things you talk readers of your book through is to figure out which they value more, money or time. So why does that matter? And how do we start to figure that out? Yeah. So this really came out of my dissertation research. We know that time affluence and material affluence, the extent to which you feel like you have enough time and enough money matter for happiness. But my advisor and I 
started to realize that we're often making trade-offs between time and money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we usually have to sacrifice time to get more money or give up money in order to have more time, such as by working less and making less money. And we wondered if there were different ways that people typically approach trade-offs in their everyday lives and whether these different approaches might matter for happiness. So we've asked people all over the world, whether they're more like Tina or more like Maggie or more like Taylor, more like Morgan. It doesn't really matter how we ask this question. Uh, T is for time and M is for money for anyone who's wondering where those uh, names came from. (laughs) And we looked at whether people generally say they're more like Tina or Maggie. So Tina values her time more than her money, is willing to sacrifice money to have more time. Maggie is the opposite. And we see about a 50-50 split down the middle, an equal percentage of people say they value time or they value money. And the choices that people make and the resources that people prioritize have really fundamental effects for our happiness. So people who value time more than money report greater happiness. College students who value time more than money in their senior year of college report greater happiness two to three years after graduation because they were more likely to choose jobs for intrinsically motivated reasons because they wanted to do a career or go to graduate school as opposed to feeling like they had to do that. And the trade-offs that we make on an everyday basis matter for happiness too. People who spend money to buy time, which is one of the strategies we can all take regardless of what we value, mm-hmm. uh, by outsourcing dislike tasks, report greater happiness. So people are willing to give up money to have more time or happier on a daily basis. And so a really important place to start in trying to understand and get to a place of greater time affluence for ourselves is asking ourselves and being honest with ourselves about whether we value time or whether we value money. I'm first to admit in the book and in talks and in conversations that as a junior faculty member at the beginning of my career, I was very much focused on money. I would sacrifice a lot of time to make a little bit more money. I would research for the best deals. I was always thinking about having to save how I could get to that next financial goal, especially as I was saving for a down payment on a property. So for me, I was very aware that I was money focused. And I think that is a really important step is it's okay to be time focused or money focused, but you really need to know where you start. So instead of this, you asked, I think one of your questions is, can you change our orientation? It's really hard to change what you value in life. Mm-hmm. It's easier to change actions and harder to change values. So by first knowing what you value, time or money, you can then make decisions that are helping you shift a little bit of your behavior to have more free time, for example. So if you know you're the kind of person that values money and is willing to sacrifice a lot of time to have more money, then you want to also ask yourself, well, am I putting enough time in my calendar for other things that matter to me other than work, like friends and family? On the flip side of that, if you're someone who values time over money, You need to make sure you're asking yourself, well, am I saving enough for tomorrow? Am I making sure that I'm also making progress that my financial goals are increasing my revenue to keep up with, for example, right now, inflation? So I think just knowing where you start is really important because then you can start making adjustments in your behavior that will help you feel more in control of your time and happier. And so asking yourself whether you value time or money provides a baseline understanding of how you typically make decisions. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting when I went through that exercise in the book. 
I wondered though, I felt like I was kind of in the middle. Is there a spectrum? I mean, there must be a spectrum right? <laughs> yes, definitely. So in the book, we say kind of, you know, we've been talking at extremes. So I, I think the example in the book is you're someone who sacrifices every spare moment to make more money, or you're someone that never researches for a good deal because you don't want to spend time on stuff like that. You just, <laughs> you know, you never organize things with your friends because you let them do all the hard work because you don't want to waste time on coordinating, right? So very time first person and a very money first person. They're pretty extreme examples of uh, how you might go about making a variety of different decisions. And most of us fall somewhere in the middle. So an important thing to ask yourself is, where do I usually maximize money in my life? Where do I usually maximize time? Are those decisions serving me? Or might I want to reflect and rethink how I make decisions on a regular basis? So for example, many of us around major life decisions will try to get the best deal so the most house for our money with not nece without necessarily considering how time might play a role and how our commutes might actually eat into the time that we could spend with our friends and family. So I think in general, regardless of what you value, it's a really useful exercise to be asking yourself, where might I be sacrificing time too much? And are there places where I want to focus a bit more on time as opposed to money? Yeah. And it's a, it's a new lens to introduce into the decision-making process too. I mean, we kind of are taught to focus more on the money aspect and not as much on the time. So yeah, raising your awareness of what you value can help you make a decision that's better suited to you. Absolutely. And this is one of the time traps I talk about in the book that make us time poor is exactly what you're touching on. We're taught to track and pay attention to money. Mm -hmm. And money is very concrete and tangible, but quality time is very ephemeral. It's very abstract and hard to track. We also discount the value of our future time. So 50 bucks, 500 bucks now is val very valuable. And we think it's going to be just as valuable in a month, three months, one year from now. But when it comes to time, we know the value of our time today because we're really busy trying to fit in a million things. So 30 minutes, one hour of free time today is very valuable. However, we're not sure exactly how much benefit we're going to get from 30 minutes, an hour, a day off sometime in the future. And so we will often sacrifice our future time, which is another time trap um, that gets in the way of time affluence because time is harder to track than money. Right. And when you start to think about how those 30 minutes here or 15 minutes or afternoon off adds up over the course of a year, you do a lot of that addition in the book. And I thought that was really eye-opening, like how many days you can really, I want to say, buy yourself, <laughs> which sometimes it's that direct and sometimes it's not. But those things do add up in a way that time feels fleeting, right? But then there is a longer term view you can take and see just how much time you can reclaim for yourself. Absolutely. All right, Ashley, I have a few more questions for you, but I've got to take a quick break first. And we're back with Ashley Willens, author of Time Smart. So Ashley, one of the three strategies that you share in your book for building time affluence is what you call funding time. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I've done a lot of research looking at the happiness and relationship benefits of buying time. Buying time is spending money to save time, and in particular, spending money to outsource some of our most disliked tasks. We've shown in our data that as little as $40 spent on time-saving services can have 
significant improvements for happiness and reductions of stress. People who make time-saving purchases together with their romantic partners experience greater relationship satisfaction because they are able to enjoy the time that they're spending together to a greater extent. They feel more present and more supported by their partner during the time that they have off together because time-saving services, meals, um, having someone do your dry cleaning, having someone clean your house is Amen. taking off. Is <laughs> <laughs> having it's having someone take care of that. Not only you physically having to do it, but you having to think about it, so you're able to enjoy your leisure more. I think this also concept applies to outsourcing expertise. This is really interesting. Mm. When I have conversations about uh, this research with entrepreneurs, they say, "One, I wish I would have." spent money to hire an administrative assistant faster. I don't know why I didn't do that. I felt compelled to take on all this work myself for way too long. And two, I wish I would have hired coaches faster because although I can learn a lot on my own, having someone who's been there before me help me is a way to increase efficiency in my business. And I wish I would have learned about that faster. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't really... I wasn't really thinking in terms of paying for expertise. Since I read the book, I was thinking about what things could I pay for that would buy me time and therefore kind of up my happiness. So I bought a couch from an amazing resale shop locally. And I was thinking that I was gonna, I was, I thought it was so great. I could buy it over the phone. And then I had seven days to go pick it up. And I was like, I hope it fits in my car. (laughs) I I don't know. When I was talking to them on the phone, it hadn't even occurred to me that I could get it delivered, but they said, oh, do you want to add delivery to that? And I was like, well, how much is it? And they said $70. And I was thinking to like myself of like the stress and the driving down there and went finding a time to go that wasn't in a time when everybody else was going to be on the highway. I was just thinking, I felt so empowered to be like, yes, I would love to pay for the delivery. Thank you. <laughs> because I had just read your book. <laughs> But there are other things that, you know, it's the end of the school year. Uh, it's a busy time at work. You know, I was thinking as I was reading your book, like, oh, I'm going to pay for maybe I should pay for that meal service that I tried uh, like a year ago and I liked, but I also really enjoy cooking for the most part. But maybe there's a time and a place where it would make sense for me to get the meal service like just for a week, just one of those crazy busy weeks when you don't know what you're going to eat or when you're going to get to the grocery store. But I'm still thinking, I'm still mulling that one over. That wasn't as clear to me. But just hearing you talk, it sounds like thinking about what tasks you dislike is an important piece of the equation. Would you say that's true? Yeah. So we want to be thinking to become more time affluent and feel happier with the way that we spend time. We want to make sure that our actual time use, the way we spend our days, is very close to our ideal time use. Ideally, how we would like to live our lives, Mm -hmm. ideally what our days would look like. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be thinking about maximizing your personal U-index or doing something that my book editor liked to call the Marie Kondo method of time. Mm -hmm. So you want to go through your day and ask yourself what brings you joy, what brings you meaning. Sometimes things are meaningful, but not that pleasant. Like doing a really hard workout, it's meaningful because it's getting you to your personally important goal, but it might feel a little bit bad at the time, but it'll feel good in the long run. Mm-hmm. So we want to be thinking about holding on to activities that feel positive or dr- that we derive purpose and meaning from and letting go of activities that are unpleasant, frustrating, and stressful. So you want to maximize the amount of time that you spend in pleasant activities and minimize the amount of time that you spend in negative activities. So really important 
factor of consideration when thinking about what to outsource is you want to outsource your most disliked tasks. Some people love mowing the lawn, others not so much. Some people love grocery shopping, but hate cooking. So you want to be thinking about what part of the activity you do not like that brings you a lot of stress and anticipatory dread. You just feel awful even thinking about it Mm -hmm. and get rid of those tasks. And then also, I think you're bringing up an important point with your personal example. Our research shows that time-saving purchases are best when you are experiencing a lot of stress that's under your control. So when you are experiencing a busy week at work, when you know you're going to have your parents in town and you have a lot going on, that's when you want to spend money to save time because it's directly helping you take off some of the stress of those errands or tasks. In fact, it's interesting, but our data also suggests when you're experiencing uncontrollable stressors, if something really bad happens that was unexpected, Mm -hmm. a better purchase to make is experiential purchases, go out for dinner, um, maybe look up where you want to go next on vacation, because that actually distracts you from the problem that you can't solve. (laughs) So time-saving purchases help you address the problems that you can. I got it. That's so cool. I loved learning in the book too how you you mentioned like researching where you might go next. I loved learning in the book how just planning your next vacation helps you feel more optimistic, more in control. And it's not something that you necessarily have to spend money on in that moment, but it's almost like you're going, it's like you're rehearsing vacation kind of. And it made me want to ask you quickly, we only have about a minute left, but um, it made me want to ask you about this value we think a lot about time in terms of maximizing our productivity, right? But there's this other side of the spectrum, which is not being productive. It's being at leisure. And you have some advice around that too. So can you talk to us about what you call legitimizing leisure? Yes, it is so important that we break this notion that leisure has to have a productive end and enjoy leisure for leisure's sake. So legitimizing leisure is saying, that I want to enjoy leisure to savor my experiences as opposed to seeing it as a means to a productive end. And one of the best ways of legitimizing leisure, that's a scientifically based strategy, is to think about your upcoming weekend or your next day off as a vacation. Mm -hmm. When you think of it as a vacation, you're able to be more present in the moment to savor your time off to a greater extent. And you feel less pulled by all those activities you feel like you should be doing, like the work emails that you need to catch up on. And you're more present in the moment to enjoy what's in front of you. I love it. Thank you so much, Ashley. I have like 10 more questions I would love to ask you, but I am dedicated to keeping these interviews (laughs) in a certain range of time. But so for people who are loving what you're saying and they want to hear more, where can they connect with you? You can find me on my website, ashleywillens.com. Feel free to reach out and share your time smart strategies with me. I'd love to learn from how you stay time smart in your life. Great. And I will include your URL in the show notes of this episode. So thanks, Ashley, so much for being here. I just loved it. Thank you so much for having me. This is Kate with your tiny assignment. Man, I just love talking with Ashley. I wish I were still talking to her. There's a lot of questions we actually didn't get to. (laughs) Your tiny assignment is honestly just think about one thing that she said that you want to put into action or put into your noodle and let it bake. There's a lot. There's there's so much available to us in terms of feeling like we have more time. 
I hope you'll come back tomorrow when I am talking about how to minimize distractions through automation. How to Be a Better Person's theme song, Left for Deadish, is by Junior85. The episodes are mixed by Sound Advice Strategies. If you liked what you heard in this episode, share it with someone you think would like it too. Your voice matters. Also, How to Be a Better Person has an official newsletter that sends the past five episodes and a well-chosen meme to your inbox every weekend. Sign up at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com and click on Get Podcast News. I also love to hear from listeners. I mean, I love it. Send me an email by clicking on the Contact Kate button at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com or you can tweet me at Kate W. Hanley. Don't forget the W. Or find me on Instagram at Kate Hanley Author. I look forward to connecting with you. 